0: Few weeks, we've looked at this idea of what happens once I experience the grace of Jesus as far as salvation in my life. We talked about this life that is now being lived, and it's one that I am worshiping Christ. I am worshiping through praises, but also just through the daily living. Um, we talked about how I get to communicate with the creator of the world. We talked about opening up God's word and reading these words of life not just sin management. And we talked about this idea of connecting with other people. Like, I'm not doing this all alone. I'm connecting with other people. Again, as Nick just talked about, we remember what has happened and what will happen. And so today we're talking about this idea of giving. But when I mention the word giver, I wonder what just pops into your mind. Like, maybe it's not what, but it's who. Who pops in your mind when you think about this word giver? And specifically even, what is it that they give that causes you to think about them? So maybe there is a specific individual and you just see them because they have maybe given something to you in the past, or you've seen them help other people. Or maybe there's a group of individuals that comes to your mind when you think about people who give, or maybe even with it being Veterans Day, holiday weekend, that's what pops into your mind. People who choose to give and serve one another in that way that I now have freedom uh, in, in my own life. And so maybe those are things where your mind goes when you hear this word giver. Well, maybe if you're sitting there and you're like, in my life, like, I would really like to be someone who gives. Like, I would like to be a giver, but to be honest, it's been kind of a slow journey. Like, I've tried or I want to, but like, how do I do that? Like, where do we go from here? So this morning, I want to point out three action steps that I think would really be helpful if in your life you want to be someone who gives. All right? So the first is this. You have to change your mindset about you. Okay, you have to change your mindset about you. I'm just going to tell you, in case you don't know, naturally, we are selfish people. Like we think about ourselves and uh, we have this sin nature and it starts real young. I mean, you see little kids, you don't have to teach them to say no and mine, like they want that. And every now and then they'll still share. I get that. But like there is this desire that we look out for ourselves, but it doesn't just leave us when we're little because you can look around as adults. And sometimes you have people that as we focus on things, we use the word my quite a bit. That it's my family and my job and my house. It is my car. This is my money. This is my time. This is my body. But what if I told you that that entire premise is wrong? Like trying to build a foundation upon that is on shaky ground. In fact, that mindset can lead us to thinking about ourselves in a way that causes selfishness. That that's what ends up guiding us. And so if you want to be someone who gives, one difference that can really help you is if you change your mindset about yourself. so, for instance, this idea, we've talked sometimes about money and giving and things. We talk about how it's really not yours, it is God's. So, we are just a steward. So, money and stuff, it's not ours. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 24. Uh, we're going to hang out in Psalms for a little bit, just looking at some different ones. If you have the app on the U version, they're all again listed for you there. But even as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a story that Jesus tells about the parable of the talents. And sometimes we even talk about that and we'll refer to, hey, the talents that God gives us, which is true, but it is a story about money. And in this story, there is um, this landowner, this king kind of thing that gives different people amounts of money and says, I want you to hang on to this until I get back. And two of them go and work hard for that money and and double it, whereas one goes and, and just buries it until he comes back again. And even in that entire story, you see that these people are not owners of what has been given to them, but they are stewards of Uh, the landowners. But in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, here's what David writes. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. All right, so that's pretty clear. Like all means all, everything, all of that is the Lord's. Turn over to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. And this one isn't written by David. It's written by a guy named Asaph. But still, you're going to hear kind of the same thing that's written here. So he writes this. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. And so even Asaph is talking on behalf of God saying, this is all mine. Like, I have created it all. And so, again, we hear just this idea of it is not ours. And you don't have to turn there, but up on the screen in 1 Chronicles, we read of David praying uh, towards God when he has been told, yes, they're going to be able to build the temple. And so in verses 11 and 12, David says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. It says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And so like, even as you just hear all these things, again, sometimes we're like, hey, I'm in charge of this and this is mine, but money, possessions that you have, they're not yours. Instead, they are things that God has given to you, that he is allowing you to use right now. But what if we didn't just talk about money and stuff? Because again, that's been preached in sermons before. What about this idea of time? Like sometimes we can think, well, this is my life, or this is the time that I have. Uh, You're still in Psalms. Go to chapter 31. Psalm chapter 31. We're going to hear just a couple verses about this idea of time. And so Psalm chapter 31, we're going to look at verses 14 and 15. And again, this comes from David once again. He says, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. And so even in there, he's saying, God, I know that my times are in your hand. My days are in your hand. My life is in your hand. I'm not quite as in control as maybe sometimes we think. Turn to chapter 90, Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. And this is one of the few Psalms that we actually have still recorded from Moses that is included in the book of Psalms. And he writes these words. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So, God, I understand that you are the one in control. Help me to understand the days that I have. Help me to be looking forward to the eternity that you are going to have with me. And so, understanding right now that my days are numbered. And so, help me to make the most of those while I live. One final verse in Psalms. Turn to 139, Psalm 139. This whole entire chapter is about David writing how much God knows him. Before a word is on my tongue, you know me completely. You're the one who made me. I can't go anywhere on this earth that is away from you. And so in Psalm chapter 139, verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Like, God, you knew what my life would be even before I was born. Like, that is how um, amazing you are, how almighty you are. In Job, you don't have to turn there, but up on the screen, chapter, chapter 14, verse 5, Job says this, "'A person's days are determined. "'You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits.' he cannot exceed. And so even Job, while he's going through these difficulties, understands that God is the one who is ruler of life. And then in the book of Acts, so you can turn to Acts. We'll go to the New Testament here. Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to these people in Athens, and he's even looking around and saying, you guys worship all sorts of different gods. And over here, you even have this spot that says, to an unknown God. He says, let me explain who that is. Let me tell you who God is. And so, in chapter 17 of Acts, verses 24 through 26, is what we're going to read. And Paul says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and He does not live in temples built by human hands, and He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land." And so here is God from the very beginning making everything, but he again has his hand in everything. He doesn't just make it and sit back and just say, good luck trying to figure things out. His hand continues to be in everything and appoints certain times and peoples and those kind of such. And so what I want you to hear, just as we're reading those different verses, is that we are not in control of our time as much as sometimes we like to think. We're actually living in the time that God has given to us. And as we understand that, we are more likely to live for God's glory. We're more likely to say, I understand what you have given to me and let me live as someone who gives back. So time, money, and stuff. But then there's also this idea of it's not your body. And again, that's kind of an issue sometimes in today's society, but God made you and He saved you. You are His. And so one verse that I want to look at, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm sure you've heard this verse before, and a lot of times people use it if they're like, hey, you shouldn't do this to your body and all that kind of stuff. But really, I just want to look at the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 and 20. And Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, and therefore honor God with your bodies. Like in that text, you see that God sent Jesus to die for you, and once you choose his grace, his spirit comes and lives inside of you, and so you are not your own. In fact, Tim Challey says God has the right of ownership on you and the right of redemption. Like, he's the one that made you, and he's the one that saved you. Like, you didn't make yourself. And even someday, when you have a new body in heaven, you will not be the one who made that either. And so when you and I realize that this body that we have is not so much ours, it really is his, then I have a healthier mindset to be able to use that for his purposes, to use that for his glory and not just my own. And so, as we're talking about changing our mindset, it's not my money, it's not my stuff, it's not my time, it's not my body. All of this is God's and what He gives to me. And when I change that mindset and I realize that truth, I'm not holding so tightly to the things that are are mine. We're not holding so tightly to that. We are stewards of His things. And so, how would He want you to use His money? How would He want you to use His possessions? How does he want you to use the time that has been allotted for you? How does he want you to use the talents and the abilities that he has placed inside of you? Are you using them to help with the things and the people that he cares about? Or are you simply using them to promote yourself in some way? I'll tell you this point in the sermon may seem really simple, and it even doesn't take very long to say, hey, we need to change our mindset about you. But allowing God to do that can actually take some time. But I will tell you this, that if you gain the right perspective and your mindset is built on the correct foundation, then your heart will be in a much better place to be ready to give. Here's a second action that I would tell you to help you become a giver. Change your mindset about giving. Okay, change your mindset about giving. So there was a family who went home from church after, you know, Sunday and they had lunch and then they sent their six-year-old little boy off to his room to play. But after a while, mom realized that she hadn't heard anything in a while and she knows that's not very good. So she gets up from her recliner and she walks to the child's bedroom and she listens right outside his door. And she kept hearing these small metallic sounds and some jingling come from the other side of the door. And so she was intrigued. She cracks the door open just a little bit, and she looks in, and she sees her son sitting on the floor with his piggy bank open and with a few dollars in coins lying around on the floor. And so he gathered them up, and he put them into a handkerchief, and he knelt down, and he prayed silently. And then he threw all the coins up in the air, and he watched them all come back down and hit the ground, and he frowned. And he would gather up his coins again and put them in the handkerchief and repeat the process of throwing them up in the air. So finally, his mom opened the door a little bit more and asked, what are you doing? And the little boy replied this. He said, we learned in Sunday school today that we should give money to God for an offering. But I forgot to bring mine to church. So I figured I would come home and I would throw mine up in the air and God would catch whatever he needed and then I could keep the rest. He said, but he hasn't caught anything yet. And here's this little boy, even having the right heart of being able to want to give to God, but he was a little misguided about how this idea of giving worked. And sometimes we can be misguided as well. Like, sometimes we hear people talk about this word giving, and we begin to feel something negative inside when we relate it to the church. Like, okay, the preacher, when he's talking about giving, he's going to tell me that he needs to give more money to the church, or I need to give more time to the church. And so you come in just with that feeling already. There was one instance where a skeptic was talking to a preacher, and he said, I cannot stand this Christianity business. He said, all I ever hear from you Christians is give, give, give. And the preacher thought about it for a moment, and he said, that's about the best description of Christianity I've ever heard. You know what? Both the preacher and the skeptic like, knew, as a follower of Christ, we're supposed to give. But the skeptic, he came at it from this viewpoint of, it's something that I have to do, that I don't want to do. But the preacher came at it from the viewpoint of this is a response of understanding what God has done for me, which if I'm being completely honest, like God has given so much to me that I can give to others. And so God's not asking you to do something that he hasn't done himself. He's given so much to you because he wants to, not because he has to. And so to be someone who desires to give or even someone who just seems to give naturally, we have to change our mindset about what giving actually is. And I don't know if any time that the the plates have been passed, you've kind of just thought, well, I have to do this because God tells me to. Or maybe it's crossed your mind. Well, I better give just so God's going to bless me in some way. Or maybe you even think, well, I I want God to be proud or I want him to love me. And so I hear them talk about this tie, this 10%. And so I'm going to give that to him. But you see, giving your money to God, or actually, I should probably say, giving His money back to Him, is not about paying a bill, like so many other things in our life are. It's also not a membership fee that Christians do, so that way you can keep all the good benefits that come with the club. It's not trying to buy God's favor, but it's a participatory thing. Like, we do it with God. God Himself, He is a giver and He loves people. He wants them to be in a relationship with Him. And I get to come alongside of that. God wants to use me to help things that last for eternity. And that's why, even during our offering time, we show you little videos of the ministry partners that we partner with all around the world to see what it is as we're sharing this gospel with people. And so we give money to the church because we love seeing lives changed, not out of obligation. It also means having my eyes open for people and causes outside this church building that I can either help financially or with my time because other people have invested in me in one point. In fact, the more that I do these things, the more I become like Jesus. And it's not because I'm trying to earn anything, but my desires and my actions, they look more and more like His. And people see Him in me. You know, a moment ago i just mentioned all these things that offering or giving is not there was a man named simon who kind of had to learn all about this and what the heart of god truly was like and in acts chapter 8 this man named simon was practicing sorcery and people were completely amazed by it they were coming to him and then he sees peter and john come and they come to the samaritans and they lay their hands on the samaritans and the holy spirit comes inside of all these people and simon is like whoa i want that and so he goes to them and he says hey how much do i need to pay you i I want to buy this gift so that then I can have that. And Peter and John say, Wow, your heart is in the wrong place. You need to repent. He said, You know what? Receiving from God and then giving to other people, it's not a transaction. That's not how God designed it. It's not for the purpose of your own glory. God wants us to point others towards him, so that, that way maybe they do see our good deeds, but they don't praise us. They praise our Father who is in heaven. And so, as we change our mindset about giving, not something that I have to do, God's going to do amazing things. Like, you'll see your priorities begin to change. Like, when it comes to finances, let me ask you this. If you're not a giver, do you really think that everyone who chooses to give never feels any kind of financial stress? In fact, most people would tell you that when they do studies that those who give the most money or percentages are the ones who actually don't make the most but simply they choose, I'm going to give, they want to give. Or if we're talking about time, do you think those who serve with their time simply have more time than you do? I mean, the truth is we all have 24 hours in a day. And I get it. Some people maybe choose less responsibilities or their life has less responsibilities, but I would challenge you that most people who give simply decide, I want to serve. Whether that's out of response Or out of joy, and again, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at your life and gone, "Man, how did I spend so many hours on my phone when that you know uh, report comes every week?" Or maybe thinking about your computer, or maybe the amount of time that you're prepping your fantasy football team, but then you're wondering, "I just don't have any time to spend with Jesus." See, God wants us to have that same kind of passion and enthusiasm for Him. He wants to be number one in our lives. Even as we're talking right attitudes. Even with this idea of time, I'm reminded of a line that came from a movie from the movie called Courageous. All right? And in that movie, there's a family that loses their daughter to a drunk driver. Okay? And in this movie, they are struggling with all the feelings that come with that. They're trying to make sense of everything. And so eventually the father goes and sits with the pastor to seek some counsel. And I watched that movie. and I'm like, man, I wish I had that kind of counsel, which I know it's a movie line. He knows what he's going to say beforehand, but like just listening to him. But as the father is talking with him, the pastor simply says this, the question is, will you be angry with the time that you didn't have with her? Or will you be grateful for the time that you did have? And Again, that's all a matter perspective of the time that we have been given. And so the time that we have, the stuff that we own, the money that is in our possession, even our very lives, it's not ours, it's His. And so instead of seeing giving as a rule that I need to follow, see it as a response to God. See it as an acceptance of an invitation from Christ to become more like Him, See it as gaining an intimacy with Him that those who give out of obligation never get to experience, because as you do that, your priorities will begin to change. So even as we're talking about becoming a natural giver, having the right mindset with everything, that, yep, it's God's, and understanding that as I give, I connect with Him, here's the third thing that I would tell you. You need to focus on the joy of living generously focus on the joy of living generously. When you give money, when you give possessions away, when you serve other people, when you use your gifts and your talents that God gives to you, there is a joy that doesn't come from anything else. But that doesn't always mean it's easy. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you every time you serve, it's going to be simple, but I imagine there's a time in your life that maybe you gave money to someone when you didn't really have a lot of extra. And so it caused you to go without something that you really wanted at the moment, or I would bet there was a moment that you served. And by the time you were done, like your body was completely exhausted And maybe you were already tired and busy before you served, or the job was like so hard, physical labor, and it was so hot outside, or it was so cold outside. Or maybe you were teaching a lesson, and that child would not listen. In fact, they would barely sit down, like maybe that was the spot. Or maybe you just did not feel like serving your spouse that night, like the TV show was on, or you had had a really long day. But I will tell you, when you choose to be a giver, there's a fulfillment that trumps being tired and worn out. There is a fulfillment that is greater than the frustration than the child that doesn't listen. There's a fulfillment that helps you see the inconvenience as an opportunity. Fulfillment that causes you to realize that what you maybe wanted to use your money for is not as important as the person that you gave it to. You really are loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's why God wants us to give, because when we do, we experience a joy that God experiences. Two more verses I want to look at. Turn to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and I am betting you have heard or know the last part of this verse. And so Paul is speaking here. And so he says this. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself that said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Maybe you've been there before. When someone gave you something, and man, that's super great, you loved it, maybe you even needed it in the moment, and you can't even begin to use words to say thank you, like it's not enough. But then there's also those moments that you're able to turn around and give to someone else, and the fulfillment that comes from that is off the charts. Here's the last verse we're going to look at. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes this Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Like in that text, it talks about being a cheerful giver. That Greek word hilarion is where we get our English word hilarious. Like God wants us to be a cheerful, a gracious, a delighted giver, not that we're giving out of drudgery and that I have to. And so to be a giver though, it can't just be a one-time action. It has to become a way of life where my eyes begin to look around and I see more and more ways that I can make a difference because I see God in so many things. And God wants us to experience life to the full. And being a giver is part of living that life. In fact, those people that maybe you thought of at the beginning, when I asked, who is it you think of when, you, when the word giver is said, I bet if you went and talked to them, they would tell you about what a joy it is to be able to live generously. There's a quote I came across about, man, I'd love to be a a, a giver. I just can't right now. One person said, real generosity towards the future lies in giving all to the present. You know, we can continually say someday, 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 God wants my heart right now to be able to be giving to him. And I can't spend a lot of time on it, but can I tell you, as we're talking about this idea of giving, there does need to be a discernment. Like you can't just give to everyone. You just can't give everything away. There does need to be a discernment. And again, I can't get into all the details, but I would tell you to make sure that you're asking God, God, is this a place that you want me to give my time? Is this a place that you want me to give my, my money to be able just to encourage other people? But living life as a giver, like it actually made me think about last week when we got into communion groups and we talked. Uh, last week, I was with John Ross and just talking to him about the song When I Survey the Wonders Cross. And when you hear the words of that song, it says that basically I stop in amazement when I see what Jesus has done for me. I can't boast in the things that I have done. I realize what really is important. In verse four, that song says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing and so divine, it demands my soul, my life my all. I understand what Jesus has given. And so instead of just giving a little bit, like I really do want to give my everything back to Him. And so our mindset changes. This is God's. And I want to give everything to Him. And may I look for the joy that God gives as I give. And that is a life that people love living. But I'll tell you that a lot of people never experience it because they only give out of obligation or they hold so tightly onto what is mine. Mine. I want to finish off with one story. There was a rich but cynical businessman who said to one of his staff, show me a truly unselfish act and I will give you a hundred dollar bill. And the staffer said, okay, walk with me at the lunch hour. And so they went to that part of town where there were lots of street people. And the staffer said, pick any one of these folks at random and I will show you an unselfish act. And so the businessman pointed to one old man and he said, that one. And so the staffer walked over to the old man and he gave him a $10 bill and he turned to the businessman and he said, there, I just did an unselfish act. Where is my $100 bill? The businessman, he was about to speak, but he was stopped in his tracks when the old man shouted to some of those friends around him. He said, hey guys, I have a tenner. Let's go buy something to eat. And the businessman, he looked at his staffer and he said, your act was selfish Like yes, you gave away ten dollars, but you knew you were about to give to get one hundred dollars. But that old man right over there, that was unselfish. So I guess you get the one hundred dollars because you did show me an unselfish act. And in that moment, that man realized his own selfishness, and he went to the older man and he gave him the one hundred dollar bill, and he said, "Have a real party." I'll tell you, true generosity, it makes a big difference. People notice it. And so may we remember what God has done for us, what he has given to you. And let's take that and live a life of generosity, not just to be good people. A lot of people can try to be good people, but let's do it to be godly people, the way we were created to be. And I guarantee it, if you live your life that way, you will not regret it. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for giving to us so much, so much that we take for granted. God, life eternal. And I pray that we would hold on to that. For so many of us who have chosen you, God, help us not to lose sight of that. But God, continually be thankful and to be used that to, to help other people, to shine your light. God, I continually pray for those who haven't made that decision yet. God, who need your life and theirs. And so may their ears be opened. Even in this sermon on generosity, maybe they hear just who you are to them. And so Father, I am grateful and I look forward to what you're gonna continue to do, one through us as individuals, but two through us as a congregation. May all praise and glory and honor be due to you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.